together on this first day of the week to have this opportunity and privilege to worship God, to sing songs of praise, to pray together, to commune with Jesus, and excited now to be able to study God's Word with you for a little while. If you have a Bible and would like to turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter, Matthew, the 25th chapter, we'll be studying the parable of the talents and the subject of stewardship, and that's a subject that Maybe we think more about this time of year as we look back on the previous year and we evaluate it and we look forward to the coming year and we make goals and plans, but really it's something that as Christians we should be thinking about and should be committed to throughout the year, every day of our lives. Matthew, the 25th chapter, we'll begin reading in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast thine that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word steward comes from a compound Greek word and signifies house ruler. It's used ten times in the New Testament, basically has the idea of one who has been entrusted with the responsibility of managing a household. And this would have been a concept that they were very familiar with 2,000 years ago. You think of maybe Jews that lived outside of Judea but had property in Judea. When they were out of the country, they would have stewards that would manage the house, that would manage their financial and business and personal interest. And so as we think about the concept of steward and being a good steward and stewardship, the first thing we want to do is I want to look at things that I believe are foundational and fundamental concepts of stewardship that we have to grasp, that we have to understand to be a faithful steward. And I think the most fundamental or foundational of all is an awareness and understanding a recognition and appreciation for the fact that God owns everything. Stewardship starts with who is the owner. Do I view myself as an owner or a steward of God? 
Matthew 25, the first verse in this parable, verse 14, this man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. His goods. It's been said that there are three philosophies concerning property ownership. Communism says the state owns everything. Capitalism, that each and every person owns whatever they can accumulate or get, but Christianity teaches and embraces the concept of stewardship, that God owns everything, and we are responsible to Him on how we use what's actually His. First Chronicles 29, David here says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Here is the most powerful, maybe richest, man in the world, and he says, who am I? Who are we that we have this ability and opportunity to give to you? And really what we're giving is what's actually yours. And that's a concept that's taught throughout Scripture, that what we give to God and in service to them is what belongs to God already. And faithful stewardship starts with recognizing that God owns all. You know, sometimes we complain about the, the government, how the government spends what's ours what we gave, but are we not guilty of the same? Only what we waste belongs to God. Think about someone who mismanages funds or mismanages resources. We call that embezzlement, and we consider that a criminal offense. And so again, how we view ownership is critical and foundational to being a faithful steward. I have to realize first that I have a master and that then I have obligations to the master and expectations from the master. And so when I lose what's entrusted to me, the things we're going to talk about here in a moment that God's given us, entrusted to us, when I lose and waste those things, it's not just my loss, it's God's loss. And I have to understand that God's investment in me is comprehensive. Everything that I am, everything that I have is from God. And Jesus makes it clear here that the proof of our love in loyalty to the king and the kingdom is seen when I make God's agenda my agenda. If I'm going to be a faithful steward, I have to know the master's will and I have to commit to the master's will. I have to make his plans, his purpose, his mission, his goals, his agenda my agenda. And the recognition and the respect and a reverence and an appreciation for God's sovereignty And the fact that his investment in me is comprehensive will totally transform the way I live my life. And so once we understand that God owns all, we then have to consider and determine what has God given me? What has God invested in me? What is my capability? Matthew 25, next verse, verse 15, he gave to every man according to his several ability. And we go on to read later, basically use it or lose it. Romans 12, same concept. 1 Corinthians 12, same concept. Many members, one body. 
Just like members of your body don't look the same, don't act the same, different roles, all critical, all important. We don't have the same office. These grace gifts, glory to God, we're all different. And that's a good thing. Think about physically. No one is exactly like you. Your fingerprints, your voice, you're one in eight billion. And truly you're one in however many billions of people have lived from the beginning of time. And so if God's given you the ability to serve, serve. To exhort and encourage, exhort and encourage. Teach, teach, give, make money, use it to God's glory. No one is exactly like you. When we talk about someone being talented today, we don't mean that they're, they have a bar of silver or gold, but we mean they're gifted. God supplies everything that we need, and that's both sobering and it's liberating because it frees me from comparing myself with other people. Our talents are highly valued and esteemed by God, and we need to appreciate that and understand that. The one-talent man, we often feel sorry for him. Poor, he only had one talent. 20 years' wages. <laughs> one million dollars, maybe, in today's money. He was given plenty. Don't undervalue and underestimate what God has entrusted to you. We've all been given. Some more, some less, but all have been given much. We see that when Jesus fed the thousands with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish, I think that concept we see there, that we'll find more than enough, and then some with leftovers, more than enough in what we've been given, what we already have, and not what we don't have. So the question is, what have I been given? What are my talents? Some are evident. Some people's talents are evident, some are hidden. Some are lying dormant, waiting to be awakened and germinated. Trial and error sometimes. Sometimes you overcome your fears by doing whatever it is that you fear. You gotta get outside your comfort zone. You gotta push yourself. You gotta extend yourself. You gotta stretch, you gotta grow. Honest self-examination and evaluation. What am I good at? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What am I passionate about? What can I do? You can't do everything. You'll get frustrated. You'll burn out, but you can do something. What can I do that will have the biggest impact on the kingdom? Start with that. What can I do? Ask other people, godly people. What are my strengths and weaknesses? That I'll be honest with you. What can I do? Because I think there are two extremes that we find ourselves in sometimes. I can think that I'm capable, and maybe I'm not. Sometimes maybe we have a good desire. Maybe sometimes it's a bad motive. Maybe it's about me. Maybe I want something that's more, a talent that's more visible, that gets more praise. I think sometimes, you know, we clamor maybe for public gifts, wanting to be front and center, gifts that maybe we can exercise one or two hours a week or every so often. We want to maybe be able to lead a song or give a sermon. I want to tell you there's gifts outside the assembly 167 other hours of the week, just as important, if not more important, than what you do on a stage. Being able to teach privately, and evangelize privately one-on-one and serve people, not trying to trivialize or downplay teaching publicly, but sometimes we want public gifts, or maybe we have gifts that are exercised in a more private setting. Maybe sometimes we think I'm not qualified or I'm not capable, and we actually are. Think about people that say, well, I just, I'm the one-talent man. Well, he still had plenty to offer. I'm the one-talent man. People say I'm the one-talent man, and in truth, they're multi-talented. And we see their multi-talents at work, 
their secular employment, they have influence, they have leadership, they have ability, they have resources, only they use it for their own personal benefit and not for the glory of God and the benefit of the kingdom. And I want to tell you, both of those extremes, do yourself, the kingdom, and other people a disservice. Both are detrimental. The one-talent man was not condemned because he had one talent. He was condemned because he did not use the talent that he was given. And so once we determine capability, we have to commit to responsibility. Think about that word and these words we're talking about concerning our abilities. The response to my ability, the ability to respond correctly. We see in Matthew 25 in the parable of the ten uh, virgins, right before the parable of the talents, the concept of responsibility. We have expectations collectively, and we have expectations individually. And if you aren't prepared, if you don't do your job, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. The faithful steward went out and worked, went out and traded, brought, gained, was faithful. And that's a concept that's not popular even in Christianity today. Influence of Calvinism, unconditional election. You can't do anything. You can't earn anything. You don't have to obey God. That's convenient. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. And so many have tried to reinterpret the parable of the talents from traditional interpretations that it's about God and the kingdom and our response to something entirely different. It is the kingdom. It is God. It is us. And we do have an obligation to respond, to be responsible. And that doesn't negate the fact that it's a grace gift from God, that it's a free gift from God. Gifts are still gifts even when they come with terms and conditions. Think about the children of Israel and the promised land. That's a great example of that. He told Abraham, I'm promising to give this to you and to your descendants. I have given into thine hand Jericho. It was a free gift. They didn't earn it. They didn't pay for it. They didn't deserve to be there, yet they had to go and do and work and obey and submit and follow God's directions marching around the city of Jericho. It was a free gift of God, but they had to exert much effort in receiving it. James 2, faith without works is dead. And so we have to commit to responsibility. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is acquired in stewards that a man be found faithful. Think about terms related to stewardship, faithfulness, trustworthy, integrity, fidelity, and understand that owners have rights, stewards have responsibilities. And we also learn from this parable that the sin of omission is just as bad and just as guilty as the sin of commission. What had he done? You wicked and slothful servant, that's awfully harsh. What had he done? He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything right either. It's not just what am I against, what am I for. It's not just what am I not doing, what are we doing? What are we doing? Those who did evil wept and gnashed their teeth, but so did those who did nothing. Think about a story of a little boy, young man, who was taken to church for the first time. He hadn't been taken to church for years growing up for whatever reason. Taken to church for the first time, evidently he wasn't very impressed. Began to sigh throughout the service and throughout the sermon. Raised his hand, how long am I going to have to sit here? When is this going to be over? Eventually they passed the collection plates, and he exclaimed, you mean we got to pay for this? I want to tell you, if that's our attitude towards giving and serving, we will not be a faithful steward. 
Do we view stewardship as just a burden, just a responsibility, just a duty, or a privilege and a blessing? We have to determine capability. We have to commit to responsibility, and then we have to ensure accountability. Accounting to our ability. Matthew 25, there was a reckoning. He came and reckoned with him. The rewards and punishments were according to the stewardship, and only the unfaithful steward found the master unreasonable. You neglect the blessings and gifts of God in this life, you'll forgo them forever. But consider also the joy of stewardship. That we find purpose and satisfaction and meaning and work and in good work and work worth doing. Going back to the Garden of Eden, we see the concept of stewardship. Words of affirmation. Talk about our love language. All of us want words of affirmation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Find joy not in what you get. Find joy in what you gave. And realize the benefits of stewardship. You'll be a Christian and you'll know it. You'll bless other people. And ultimately you'll glorify and honor the God who gave you the gifts. Luke 12, Jesus there also talked about stewardship. And he said, blessed is that servant who's working when the, when the Lord cometh. Verse 47, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, that's us, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Some have been given more, some have been given less, but all of us have been given much, even the one talent man. And so I want to now transition in talking about giving an account of what we've been given, giving an account of our stewardship. In Luke 16, we find a parable of a shrewd steward, maybe greatly misunderstood today, kind of a confusing passage. It seems that Jesus commends a dishonest steward. He's not commending his dishonesty, but you study this passage, he's commending him for his diligence and his preparation and how that sometimes children of darkness in the world are more diligent about making preparations in this life in material things than the children of light are in making preparation for eternity and using the things and resources we have, even materially, our money for spiritual ends and spiritual purposes to the glory of God and the benefit of the kingdom. Luke 16, verse 1, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. So as we give an account of about stewardship, God's investment, as we said in us, is all-encompassing. So we think about all the major broad categories of our life, of the things that God has given to us and entrusted to us. We think about the gifts that God has given us. Maybe the first thing we think about is money and possessions. That's often the context regarding stewardship. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, as Moses talks to the children of Israel as they go into the promised land, and he warns them about how when you're prosperous and you're successful, the temptation to attribute that to yourself and say, my own hand gained me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And again, that's a concept taught throughout Scripture. 
And it's interesting, we think about money and financial stewardship. They estimate roughly half of Jesus' parables. One in six verses in the New Testament relate to money and financial stewardship. It's pretty important. And stewardship is not just what we manage, but it's just as much what we refuse to manage us. What we might call the dominion principle. Control your riches, don't let your riches control you. You think about the rich young ruler. Problem was not what he had. Problem was not necessarily your possessions, it's excess. Problem was not what he had, the problem was what had him. What has us? Think also about the wellness principle. Money won't buy happiness, Solomon says, Ecclesiastes. Better to give than to receive. Luke 12, the seven-eyed man we, we talk about. I, I, I. Abundance is not in what you have and what you accumulate. We learn from that story. Abundance is what you shared. Abundance is a shared experience. And that man died before he saw his resources used to the benefit of other people. The glory of God and the benefit of the kingdom. And so many Christians do the same thing. We wait to give and bless other people till we're dead. When it's a necessity or because of fear before we meet God. Instead of the joy that comes with giving in life. Think about the eternity principle. The Bible teaches Jesus essentially taught the only thing that you hang on to, the only thing that you really have is what you gave. It's what you gave. There's not going to be a luggage rack on your hearse. There's not going to be a U-Haul chasing your hearse on the way to the cemetery. You can't take it with you. 1 Timothy 6, that's why Paul warns us the love of money. It's not money. It can be a great tool and resource. Money's not the problem. It's the love of money. It's the root of all evil. And he warns us, verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world, that's us, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate or share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Money is a trust. God entrusts it to us. He expects us to invest it for his purpose, and he expects a good return on investment. Money is a tool. Spiritual people see money not as an ends, but as a tool. And that the value in money is only in so much as it blesses other people and benefits the kingdom of God. Just like a rope or other tools used to rescue people or save people, the value of that tool is not in itself, but as it's used to the benefit of other people. Money's a test. Jesus said if you can be faithful in something maybe more trivial like money compared to other blessings of God, if you can be faithful in money in little things, you can be entrusted with greater things. And finally, money's a thermometer. Your bank account, your budget, the way you use your money reveals the truth about who you are and what you value and what's important to you. So how rich are we? Talk about those who are rich. Read the average salary in the world is about $1,500 a year. I would estimate that everybody in this room is in the top 10% in the world, and probably most of you are in the top 1% in the world. And how do we spend our money? 25 to 30% on housing, 10 to 17 on transportation, 11 to 13% on food. Again, a lot of these are necessities and then some. 10 to 13% on insurance and retirement, they estimate 4 to 6% on God. 
I wonder if we commit the same sin. Will a man rob God? Malachi 3. How have you robbed me in tithes and offerings? Haggai 1, you sit in your nice fancy houses while the house of God is neglected and lies in ways. Consider your ways. We talk about God's money as if that's what we give on the first day of the week and we'll sometimes say, well, that's, we're giving God's money. I'm going to tell you, God's money is not just the 4% you're putting in the plate. It's the other 96% too. He owns it all. Think about a little girl who was walking into church with her mother. and The mother had given her $2 bills. She had one in each hand. And the West Texas wind blew one of the dollar bills away. Her mother had told her, you get to keep $1 and you got to give the other dollar to God. The little girl said, there goes God's dollar. 2 Corinthians 8, the Macedonians were commended for their generosity. He said, you gave beyond your ability. You gave even more. You gave until it hurt. <laughs> it seems to me that many people don't have a very high threshold then of pain. You gave until it, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. God loves a cheerful giver. And he said, your giving was proof of your love. And I wonder if we looked at our bank statements and our budgets, if we would find proof of our love for God for the kingdom, and for the lost. You know, there are essentially four different types of stewards in the kingdom as it relates to money and really things in general. There are those who possess much but do little with it. Seven-eyed man, Luke 12. Rich man, Lazarus, Luke 16. There are those who do much even though they have little. Lady that cast in two mites. Jesus said she gave all that she had. 2 Corinthians 8, they gave beyond their ability. Those who have little and do little with it. One talent man we're talking about. Really, in actuality, he had much. And then finally, those who have much and do much. I hope that's us. Heroes of faith, Abraham and others who had a lot of financial resources, they used them to the glory of God and the benefit of the kingdom. Which one are you? If God took account tonight, if you, there was a reckoning tonight and your accounts were called to be settled and examined, which one are you? And do we understand that stewardship extends so far beyond financial stewardship? James said every good and perfect gift comes from above. You want to feel rich? Count your blessings that money can't buy. A Christian should not have to look at their bank statement to know how rich and how blessed they are. So we think about Greater blessings than money that God has given to us. I think that starts with the gospel. Paul talked about being a steward of the word of God and of the gospel. And he was inspired to reveal the word of God. But he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Next chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. And there's a sense in which we don't reveal the will of God as he did. We don't have the treasure in that way, but we are to be faithful in teaching and implementing and carrying out the Great Commission today. We are still, in a sense, stewards of the gospel, stewards of the Word of God. What are we doing with it? Are we faithful collectively and individually in discharging our duty as a steward of the truth? You think about having a lifeline, having the tool, the rope, whatever, to save people and not doing anything with it. What does that say about us? Our love and loyalty to God and the kingdom and the lost. What are we doing with the gospel? What are we doing with the truth? Are we faithful stewards as it concerns evangelism? Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet him? Must I empty-handed? I want to tell you, Matthew 25, don't appear before God empty-handed and unfruitful. 
You see, the future of the church, the future of the lost, our very future depends upon us doing our job. Did we do our job? <laughs> because a lamp under a bushel, seed in the barn, count in the ground, money in the bank, not going to get it done. Into our hands, the gospel is given. What are we doing with it? Think about the abilities and opportunities that comes with that. 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Galatians 6.10, Paul said, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Your abilities combined with your opportunities results in productivity. And if you're not productive, Jesus made it clear, cut off, cast out, burned. We go on to read in Matthew 25 as he separates the sheep from the goats. And he said, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. Sick, and you didn't visit me. When did we neglect you, Lord? When you neglected the least of these, my brethren, you neglected me. These gifts and resources are entrusted to us not to spend and consume on ourselves, but to pay it forward and spend it on the kingdom and on the lost. And if you'll do that, if you'll use your talents and opportunities and resources for the glory of God, the benefit of the kingdom and other people, they will explode. They will increase. Faithful and little, I'll make you ruler over many things. What about relationships? What about being a good steward of relationships? Talk about things that are more valuable than money. Starting with the gospel. After that, though, I'll tell you the people sitting on that row over there, the greatest blessings God has given to me outside the gospel and outside the church, the people in this room. What am I doing with that blessing? Malachi 2, 14 and 15, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one in a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Psalm 127, 3 and 4, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Your children are a blessing from God. Created by God. They belong to God. They're not yours. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. You think about children being arrows, not balloons. Not to be released, to wander aimlessly. We've got to pick a target. We're the parents. We get to pick the target. <laughs> What target are we aimed at? Are we aimed in the right direction? Are we aiming them in the right direction? Are we picking the right target or the wrong target or too many targets? Because as a general rule, there are exceptions. As a general rule, they're going to land in the vicinity of where you aimed them. And so the question becomes concerning my family, my children, my relationships, is it about God's agenda or my agenda or the world's agenda? What about the church and our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we wasting and neglecting that blessing? Show up once a week, high and by. <laughs> not serving, not evangelizing, not spending time together. Are we just in the directory? Or are we part of a fellowship? Working to grow and strengthen the kingdom of God and extending out to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. What are we doing with the souls God has entrusted to us? Our life, Ezekiel 18, 4, behold, all souls are mine, your body, your soul, your spirit, that are great blessings entrusted to you by God. 1 Corinthians 6, in the context of not committing fornication against the body God has given you, what, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? 
For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Don't fornicate. Don't do drugs. Don't put drugs into your body, etc. Don't abuse it. Don't waste it. Don't take it because it belongs to God. Think about so many lives that have been wasted. So much potential that's wasted, the man or the woman that could have been. I want to tell you the measure of the one life you've been given is not in its duration. Jesus lived for 33 years. We have longer life expectancy. We have 24 hours a day just like they did. They turned the world upside down. It's not the duration, it's the donation. What'd you do with it? How'd you give it? Your life should be a river, not a reservoir. Finally, time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It would be ignorant of us to think that God is concerned about our money, and he is, how we spend our money and not how we spend our time, which is infinitely more valuable. And I am discovering that truth every year more and more. Time's running out, and I don't, only have, I don't know how much time I have. And I've gotten very possessive of my time, almost to a fault. My pet peeves, that's my wife, waste time, not being efficient. And yet I still waste so much of it. You know, you can hoard time, or you can share it, you can waste it, or you can invest it, etc., but you can't get more of it. So we have to be intentional and deliberate and strategic about how we spend it. And how we spend our time, like our money, and even more so, reveals the truth about us. Our loves, our interests, our priorities. You give time, the substance of your life, to what you really value, what you really love. When I say, I don't have time, I'm too busy, it's because it's not that important to you. For some, it's making money. And they spend a lot of time doing that at the expense of the kingdom, at the expense of their family. For some, it's pleasure and entertainment and hobbies at the expense of the kingdom and their family. And for a few, the pearl of great price is the kingdom of God. How many waste their precious and fleeting time living practically like atheists, compartmentalizing their religion to Sunday morning and have no sense of urgency the rest of the week? Your heartbeat pulses and beats a drumbeat to your grave. And one day... How you spent your time is infinitely more important than how you spend anything else. So as we conclude and summarize, you think about what makes us an unfaithful steward. How do we become a faithful steward? It starts with our attitude. It starts in the heart, our mindset. Are we going to be the seven-eyed man in Luke 12, self-centered, Or am I going to recognize that God owns everything, that God is sovereign, that his investment in me is all-encompassing? And am I going to be humble? Ignorance will make us an unfaithful steward. If I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, if I don't know the will and agenda of my master, I'm not going to be a faithful steward with the things that the master has entrusted with me. If I have this hired gun approach that somebody else is going to do it, I'm overqualified, I'm too good for that, I'm underqualified, not good enough superiority and inferiority complexes, I'm not going to be a faithful steward. If I'm going to make his mission and agenda, my mission and agenda, I have to know his will. And I have to know my capabilities. 
and expectations. I have to determine, develop, increase my capability. I have to do my best, and I have to aim high. I can't do everything. That's true. You'll burn out. You'll get frustrated. You can't do everything. That's truth. I can't do anything. That's an insult and attack on God. Negligence. Sometimes intentional. We give ourselves credit. Sometimes unintentional. Oops. Misplaced affections. Distractions. Too busy. Worldliness. Too many targets. Too many masters. And so we have to accept responsibility. Quit making excuses because it's usually not about have or haven't, can or can't. You know what it comes down to? You know what stewardship comes? I will or I won't. And are we like the steward that Jesus talked about? I'll go, Father, and then we don't go. Wickedness and laziness, that's what Jesus said it ultimately comes back to. Bad habits, sin, addiction that prevents us from thinking clearly, living clearly, prevents discipline, makes us out of control. Laziness. Went and traded versus went and buried and hid. I want to tell you, digging holes and leaning on shovels will not make you a faithful steward. Brother Blister is not a faithful steward, always showing up after the work is over. An idle man tempts the devil to tempt him. And so we have to ensure accountability. We have to set goals. We have to track our progress. And we have to ensure accountability. And finally, apathy. You want to know why people are unfaithful stewards? We talk about all these different reasons. You know what it ends up coming down to? Don't care, doesn't matter, not important. Lack of motivation, lack of faith, hope, and love, a lack of belief, a lack of conviction, a lack of commitment. So if I'm going to be faithful, I have to have faith. I have to have zeal and passion and enthusiasm. I have to reverence the king and his kingdom. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't be half all in. Love God with all your being, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you become a faithful steward. And you have to understand not only the what you need to do and how you need to do it, you've got to understand the why. Why you do it. You think about what makes a good employee. These are the same concepts that apply to stewardship in the world and secularly. You know what makes a good employee versus a bad employee? You've got to start with why. You've got to buy in. You've got to believe in the agenda. You've got to believe in the mission statement. You've got to ride for the brand if you're going to be a faithful steward of the kingdom of God. This parable prompts me to ask myself, where do I fit in the story? If my reckoning was today, what would the record say about my stewardship? Am I ready to have my accounts settled and examined? Each gift that God gave me, what have I done with it? What have I done with it? This reckoning is coming. Give an account of your stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. If we belong to Christ... Everything that we are and everything that we have belongs to Him. And as we, offer, as we offer an invitation, if you're here and you want to give everything to Christ, crucify the old man, believe, change your way of thinking, change your direction, repent, be baptized into Christ, washed in the blood, resurrected to walk in newness of life. Do that this morning while you have time and opportunity. Be a good steward of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here, and as a Christian, you need to repent of unfaithful stewardship. You've wasted time, money, relationships, opportunities. You need help being a faithful steward of God.
You need accountability. You need humility. If we can pray for you or help you in some way. Matthew 21, the parable of the vineyard, one of the lessons taught there is that it's not too late. As long as you have life and time and opportunity, one day it will be too late, but right now it's not too late. Those who came at the end of the day got the same payment, same reward, much to the dismay of those who worked from the beginning of the day. Now, we don't recommend that. Wasted years affects your family, affects the church. There's a saying, the best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago. And there's nothing you can do about that. The life, the time, the money that you've wasted, a relationship, you can't do anything about that. But the next best time is today. And if you need to plant a tree today, if you need to be a faithful and fruitful tree in the vineyard of the Lord in the kingdom of God, he said, abide in me. Let me abide in you and you'll be faithful. You'll be fruitful. Will you come? The Lord invites you to come as we stand and sing together.